Now, presenting live from 401 Maplewood Drive in Jupiter, Florida. Join our family every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m. Today's message brought to you by Pastor Ben Pierce. Good morning, Generation Church. I want to welcome you to the fourth installment of our series, Love Between the Lines. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you today. Generation Church, can we welcome all those visiting? So glad you guys are here. Can we also welcome all those joining us by uh, video this morning? So glad you guys have tuned in. I want to invite you to come and be a part of a service live and in person right here at Generation Church. So we've been doing this series called Love Between the Lines. It's out of the book, The Song of Solomon. Uh, it's the song of songs out of the thousand and five songs that he wrote. This is the cream of the crop. It's the only one that remains. Uh, scripture tells us that Solomon is the wisest man that ever lived. And so he wrote a book on relationships. And so if uh, the wisest man that ever lived wrote a book on relationships, I think we need to understand that book. How many guys would agree? Let me ask it this way. How many of you guys have ever had a fight with your spouse? Okay, now you need to know what the Song of Solomon says because we're going to talk about today trouble in paradise. We're going to talk about conflict and how to, how to do that, how to resolve that, how to live the way God designed your relationships to work. And so this book is written in a poetic form. It's an allegory. It's full of metaphors and symbolism. And so there's a lot of things in here that are um, not culturally relevant to us today. So we have to pick out the symbolism. And that's why we call this series Love Between the Lines. I'm doing the heavy lifting. I'm pulling the, the scripture out and showing the principles to us so that we can live the way God wanted us to live. Uh, a couple of ground rules. This series is PG-13, and so if you're under the age of 13, uh, you should take, uh, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Advantage. Praise the Lord. You should take advantage of our wonderful kids' church. If you're over the age of 13, you should be in here uh, because the church needs to take the primary role in teaching uh, how to have relationships, how to do it God's way. And so um, the second ground rule in this is listen for yourself. No amen, brothers, no elbow on your spouse. God wants to work on your life. So listen for you and let him work on you and, and who uh, he wants you to be. I want to kind of just recap a little bit because we're going to pick up today with their first fight, Solomon and his wife's first fight, and how they worked through that conflict. They, they'd been navigating the whole scenario of relationship. They met. They were attracted to each other. I like you. You like me. Check yes or no or maybe. And, and they walked through that whole thing. They walked through dating and courtship. And then we talked about the wedding. And then we talked about spicy, 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 the honeymoon night and, and all of that kind of stuff. If uh, How many of you guys um, have heard the message, Great Sex, from last weekend? Okay, you need to go online and listen to that because it will help you in your relationships. And so we talked about that, but as soon as the honeymoon is over, the fight happens. As soon as, as all of the, uh, the things that excite us about relationships um, ends, we get into this place of, of real life, and that's exactly what happened to Solomon and his wife. How many of you guys can remember how soon it was after your honeymoon that you had your first fight? During the honeymoon. Hallelujah. There you go. And, and so it doesn't take a long time to realize, you know, the word honeymoon, if you break it down, the word honeymoon is, it means sweet 
month. You know, back in the day, uh, our calendar was was um, based upon a lunar cycle, on a moon cycle, and so it means sweet month. and And it takes about a month for the sweetness to wear off. It takes about a month for you to wake up and find out that uh, your wife has rearranged all the furniture in the house, and you don't know where anything is. It takes about a month to realize that uh, you get up and and your husband has uh, bounced the checkbook, and you have eighty seven charges at twenty five dollars a piece or thirty five a piece from the bank. It doesn't take long for you guys to, to figure out in relationships that you just do things a little differently and you make mistakes that, that, you know, you come in from a hard day at work and your wife has cooked split pea soup and it's burned and you say, wow, this is burned. And then you don't talk for three days. It doesn't take long to get out of that honeymoon period and just realize that relationships are tough. Life is just tough sometimes. And so I want to give you just some some things about relationships today that will help you. There was um, a church in uh, a little small town, and one Sunday morning, the devil decided he was going to go to that small town congregation. As soon as he walked into the building, everybody started running and screaming. They were trampling over each other to get to the back door to get out of this place, and, and the devil's walking around the auditorium, and there's one elderly man setting up at the front, and he's just kind of sitting there. He's not moving. He's not saying anything or doing anything, and the devil walks up to him, and he says, do you know who I am? And the old man says, yep. And the devil looks at him and says, well, why aren't you scared like everybody else? And the old man looks back and he says, because I've been married to your sister for 48 years. (laughs) Relationships are, are tough. During your honeymoon, you may have thought you married the equivalent to Anne Hathaway. And then you realize that the devil really does wear Prada. Thank you worked on that all week long (laughs) phases of marriage i want to give you if you're following along in your fill-ins this is not in there uh, but you should write it down by the way we have binders out in the foyer for you they're free of charge Uh, you can put all of your fill-in notes in there and keep track of the series and all of your notes and and just have uh, an opportunity to review the things you've been learning so make sure you grab one of those phases of marriage The first phase is the honeymoon phase. It lasts about 30 days. And then you realize, oh my Lord, what have I done? Who have I married? This person is different than me. They've been their own person for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. And I've been my own person for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And and now we brought two people together and we're trying to figure out how to make two people who have lived separate lives for a certain amount of time work. And it's hard and it takes uh, not a lot of time to figure out that, uh, that you're just different. The second phase of marriage and relationships is what I call the disillusionment phase. We become disillusioned with who that other person is and, and what this marriage is really supposed to be. And the sad reality is most people stay in the phase of disillusionment their entire lives, their entire marriage Because they look at this person and they don't understand how you operate. Why do you care if I park sideways in the driveway? Why do you care if I leave the closet light on? Why do you care if I leave the door open and air condition the neighborhood? Why does it make sense to you? Why does that bother you? We start to get into this place where I'm not sure if I really get you. And the reality is, is God brings people together who are opposites. Paula Abdul wrote a song years ago, Opposites Attract. Y'all remember that? Okay, I just dated myself. 
Opposites attract. God brings people together. And in this second phase of relationships and marriage, you really begin to realize how different people are. I'm a type B personality. I'm laid back and chill. And Melissa's a type A personality. How many of you guys know that she needed to chill just a little bit? How many of you guys know I needed somebody to kick me in the pants just a little bit? We needed each other in that. And so you get to this place of relationships where you see these large differences between you and it gets you into a place of disillusionment. And then the third phase of marriage is this place called contentment. And most people rarely get there until they're old in life. You ever seen an elderly couple and they're just so old and cute and they're just holding hands and they just love each other and and they just seem so content and you think, man, that has taken 80 years to get to. I don't know if I can make it 80 years to get to that. Listen to me, you don't have to wait till you're old and gray in order to be content. You can be content early on in your relationship. So if you're married today, this message is for you. Because you probably are in the middle of conflict. You're probably in the middle of trying to navigate those kind of things. If you're single today, this message is for you because you are going to have conflict. You are going to come right out of the honeymoon and you're going to think, what in the world have I done? And how did I marry the devil's sister? But you can get through with God's help. And just applying the scriptures, you can get to a place of contentment before you're old. You can get to a place in your marriage. I, I truly believe this. You, you can have a relationship and, and go through your honeymoon period and enjoy that first month together and, and navigate a few things in that period of disillusionment and navigate that relatively quickly in the matter of a few weeks or months. I really believe that. And then you can get to a place within the first year of your marriage of being in a place of contentment. You can do that. With God's help and with applying the scriptures to your life, you can get to that place. So navigating trouble in paradise. As with any marriage, the honeymoon wears off and we find ourselves in some sort of conflict. How many of you guys have ever had conflict? Well, I have conflict. We have conflict all the time. Isn't it funny that we have conflict and we don't remember what we had conflict about? How many of you guys can remember what you fight about? Maybe one or two of the fights here and there, but 90% of those fights and things that we have conflict about, we can't even remember why. Why We laugh about it. Why were we arguing again? I probably did something wrong. (laughs) So we get to this place of, of conflict relatively quickly, and this is where Solomon finds himself. So in the Song of Songs, chapter 5 and verse 2, this is their first fight right after the honeymoon. Verse 2, she says this, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking at the door. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew and my hair with the dampness of night. So she's asleep and he's late. (laughs) How many of you guys experienced that in your first week of marriage? You were supposed to be somewhere and you didn't show up at that place on time and your spouse was livid. Because you were supposed to be someplace, and five minutes late to you didn't really matter. I'm a type B personality. Five minutes, 50 minutes, who cares? Five minutes to my wife? It's an eternity. And this is where he finds himself. And so he finds himself in this place, knocking at the door. She's already in bed. He's late. He's been, probably been playing b-ball with the guys. And, uh, and he knows he's in trouble. And this is what he says. Knock, knock, knock. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my love. He knows he's in trouble. 
He knows he's missed it. He knows that, that he was supposed to be somewhere and he missed that time. And he knows that she's not opening the door for him. He says, my flawless one. This guy's digging deep. <laughs> Everything that he can think of. Baby, please, come on. You know I love you. He says, my head is drenched with dew and my hair with the dampness of night. Yeah, dummy, you've been playing basketball for four hours. <laughs> of course. He missed it. And this starts their first conflict in marriage. Right after their honeymoon, he, he had... Uh, missed an expectation that she had not clearly communicated. And most arguments and most conflicts are a result of miscommunication and mismatched expectations. One person expects one thing, the other person is oblivious because you're probably a man and you have no idea what you're supposed to be doing, when you're supposed to be doing it, and you have mismatched expectations, and he finds himself here. With your fill-ins, if you look at number one, he shows up at this place, and he knows he's wrong. How many of you guys know when you mess up? You know when you've done it. You know when you said something, you told a joke, you told a story, you did something, and you've made your wife mad, or you, you've made your husband mad. You know you're in trouble. And he comes to the door, and he's knocking, and he's looking for fill-in number one. He's just looking for some affection. He's just looking for her to say, honey, it's okay. I know you missed it, but I'm not going to skewer you for this. So he is looking for affection. So number one in having healthy relationships is I, I will give affection and not affliction. I will give affection and not affliction. How many times have you been in life, and you know you've messed up, and you just want your spouse to be okay with it, but they afflict you. I can't believe you did this. How could you? What were you thinking? And then four hours later, you're still afflicted by it. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. I just want to go to bed. We get in this place in our relationships where we have opportunities to diffuse the situation. But how often do we, uh, we miss those opportunities of diffusion? And we push them. And we get into this place in our relationships of the one-upper. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And before you know it, the thing has escalated into a situation that is, uh, is way out of control. And it has produced affliction in your relationship. He knew it messed up. He just wanted her to not crucify him for it. She wanted affection as well. She, she wanted him to care enough about her schedule, to care enough about what time he came home, to show her affection through that. There's a big lesson there, especially for some of us guys. You know, you don't, you don't really know what, uh, what happens in the head of your spouse sometimes, sometimes the fears that, that go. I know when Melissa goes down to the clubs, I really have to fight fear in my heart when she goes down with epic beauty and she's ministering in these adult entertainment industry uh, gatherings i really have to fight that when it's one o'clock in the morning and they're still not home i have to fight those feelings of fear i wonder if some weirdo has uh you know done something or tried to attack the girls or do something crazy i have to fight so you never really know what's happening inside of the heart and head of your spouse so there's got to be a part of us where we're willing to show them affection by trying to understand, why do you care if I'm late? Seek to understand, why does this make a difference to you? So see, affection goes both ways. He wanted a little bit of softness when he came in late, and she just wanted him to understand, this is why I need you here. 
This is why I want you here at this time. Verse 3, she says, I've taken off my robe. He's knocking on the door, and she yells at the door, must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? She ain't getting up, brother. You are in trouble. The second one is, we got to learn to relinquish and not resist. Man, how often in in our lives do we find ourselves in this position of conflict and we just resist? We resist the resolution. We resist to understand why we got here in the first place. We resist wanting to know what I did. We resist all of those kind of things. And if we would just get into a place in our relationships where when you feel the temperature rise and you feel things going in a bad direction, instead of resisting, relinquish. When he knocks on the door, sure, she's mad at him. and, and sure, she has a right and a reason to be mad at him. But when he knocks on the door, why did she resist? Brother, I'm in bed. I'm not getting out. And what ends up happening is when she did not relinquish to that, she caused things to escalate. Verse 4 says that my beloved punched his hand through the latch opening of the door. How many guys have ever punched through a, a wall or something in a fight? I had somebody come up to me last night. I won't mention any names because I don't want any more walls to get destroyed. But I had a guy come up to me last night. He was like, one guess in our family who punched the hole in the wall. I said, your wife. He said, yes, can you believe it? (laughs) Things escalate in our relationships. I'll tell you a little story. When Melissa and I were first married, um, we were driving down the road. We were probably married about a year and a half or so. And uh, we laugh about it today because neither of us can remember what in the world we were arguing about. But it kept escalating. She wouldn't relinquish. I wouldn't relinquish. We were resisting each other. And it gets to this place where I'm about to put my fist through something. And mild-mannered, sweet little me, I punched the windshield out of our car. I had no idea that I had that much strength in me. I'm driving down the road, and I'm like, God, I'm And I punched the thing and broke the windshield. Cost me 300 bucks to replace it. So I identify with Solomon, and I bet some of you guys probably do too. You know, it gets to this place if we're not careful, if we're not willing to relinquish and relent on our issues sometimes, that that it gets to this place of, of being physical. Number three, I will show appreciation and not altercation. When you find yourself beginning to boil in your blood and, and you feel this fight coming on, this conflict coming on, to give appreciation instead of altercation. If I had turned to my wife instead of punching the windshield and said, babe, I appreciate where you're coming from and I will do better because I'm the one that messes up all the time. If I just turned and appreciated where she was coming from, it would not have escalated into an altercation. But then it escalated into an altercation. Dishes fly, windshields get broken, walls get punched. Things just begin to happen. You guys are looking at me like you've never hit something in your house. Lord, just protect them. Don't strike anybody with lightning today for lying in the house of God. She was just looking for some appreciation of her needs, but instead she got an altercation. He punched the door. He put his hand through the door. Proverbs 15 and 1, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer, some appreciation will diffuse the situation. But when we refuse to relinquish or relent on our anger, it escalates it. And we get into this place of a harsh word that stirs up anger, and we find ourselves in an altercation. 
he did not appreciate her first by being late. He didn't appreciate her timing. He didn't appreciate her heart. He didn't appreciate her potential fears of maybe he got kidnapped by Pharaoh's chariots or something. I don't know. He, he, he didn't appreciate why it was important to her. And then he didn't appreciate her again by blowing up and punching out the door. It was just altercation after altercation. And it's so funny because it's, it's where we find ourselves in life. And there's so many simple little fixes that we can do. You know, you find yourself in this kind of pivotal point, like you know, like, I, I, I can end this right now, but I don't want to. I, I could dis, dis, uh, dissolve this situation, diffuse this situation right now. You guys ever been there? I could end this. I think I'm going to take it a step further. Am I the only one who does that? Because I got a point to make. I need her to know. I want her to understand why this is important to me. So I could diffuse it, but no, I'm going to make my point. And the reality is, is every time we try to make our point instead of diffuse the situation, we end up making a point that's a stake in the heart of our spouse. It does damage every single time. Every single time that we make a point. I love this. The scripture says that Jesus was reviled. He was spit on. He was slapped. He was persecuted. They crucified him. He never said anything back to them. They spit in his face. He never said a word back to him. I don't know about you, but I want to be more Christ-like. In my relationship with Melissa, my relationship with you guys, I want to be more like Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't want to be a person of altercation. Verse 5 she says this, she says, after he punched a hole in the door, she says, I rose to open for my beloved. She's finally ready to talk. Says that her hands dripped with myrrh and her fingers were flowing with oil. Verse four, I will engage in expression instead of explosion. I will engage in expression instead of explosion. See, what if she had been willing to engage in expression before he punched a hole in the door, before he exploded? If, if she had been willing to get up and say, you know, I'm in my bed, dude, I'm not getting up. Why should I get out of bed for you? Why should I get my feet dirty? If she had just said, all right, let's talk this out. Let's figure this out. It would have never escalated into this place of an explosion. And so in our marriages, in our relationships, try to engage in expression. Express how you feel. Express what's going on. This is, honey, this is why you being late made me so angry. This is why this matters to me. Express those kind of things. Because if you don't express what's going on inside of you, you're going to find yourself in an explosion. If you don't take the time to say, this is what's happening in my heart, somebody's going to punch a windshield. It's just the way it works. It's going to escalate to that place at some point in the relationship. And if you're not a physical person or, or what have you, you may never punch a wall or punch a relationship or punch a windshield, but you will have the same feelings of anger and strife and ugliness and bitterness, in my opinion, worse because it's hidden inside of your heart. You know, sometimes it feels good to punch a wall. It kind of releases a little something. The best thing is never to get to that place, but the worst thing is to hold it in. So learn to express with each other what's going on inside of your life. Verse 6, she says, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. 
She says, my heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called for him, but he did not answer. Number five is I will communicate and not vacate. I will communicate and not vacate. She finally came to the door and was willing to talk it out, but he was gone. Before she was willing to talk, he was ready to walk. We find ourselves in that position in life. How many of you guys have ever grabbed your keys? I'm just out of here. I don't know where I'm. Where are you going? I don't know where I'm going. I'm going to go drive around the neighborhood because I am going to a hotel. Where am I going to go? And you're thinking in your mind, like, I got no place really to go. I'm just trying to make her think that I'm going somewhere. The reality is it's 2 a.m. in the morning and you just want to go to sleep. That's the only place I want to go. I want to go to bed. We get to this place where, where we, instead of, of communicating through what, what's going on, the issues, the conflict, we just vacate. We vacate in a couple of ways. We vacate emotionally. Emotionally disconnected from our families, our kids, our spouse. We vacate sometimes physically, or at least we attempt to. And we vacate spiritually. Uninterested in the spiritual development of our spouse, of our kids. Unwilling to go to church, unwilling to be engaged in the life and community of God. And when we vacate instead of communicate, nothing gets fixed. You know, it's a real popular thing in, in relationships today to give people the silent treatment. Guys give girls the silent treatment. Girls give guys the silent treatment. I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't want to have to deal with this right now. Don't talk to me. And we just kind of clam up. We don't really express what's going on inside of us. And we bottle those feelings and those emotions up. And it does nothing but sit there and fester and becomes putrid inside of us. And then the next time an altercation comes or a conflict comes, that, that thing that we never fixed before is right there inside of us, just waiting to go to the next level. Ephesians says this in verse 4 and 26. It says, in your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Meaning don't go to bed before you fix these things, before you communicate. Don't vacate the premises until you've had an opportunity to say, listen, I don't know why this happened. I don't know what's going on, but can we fix it? I don't know exactly where we met, met, uh, missed it or made a mistake, but can we talk about it? I'll give you a little tip, ladies. Your men don't want to argue till 3 o'clock in the morning. They just want to go to sleep. And so if you can not give them the silent treatment and you, you can engage them in some conversations, I guarantee you they're in resolution mode quickly. So you got to get up, go to work the next morning. And the problem is, is that we just let it go and we, we turn over and we turn our backs to each other. And then you sigh. <sighs> because you know if you speak first, you lose. So you roll over. <sighs> And then the other spouse there on the other side. <sighs> and then you sigh back and forth. Oh, my God. Isn't that the way it goes? And you're just waiting because you know the first one to speak loses. And that's the way the world has taught us that relationships go. But you know what? The first one to speak wins. 
The first one to speak wins because you're the one who is, is putting the relationship back together. You're the one who's leading the relationship in a godly way. You're the one who's taking charge. You're the one who is repairing the breach, the damage. Man, the silent treatment does nothing. Nothing. Talk through these things. Communicate and not vacate. If you skip down to the next chapter, verse 10, it says, My beloved, talking about Solomon, says he is radiant and ruddy. He's outstanding among 10,000. His head is the purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams. They're washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like the bed of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. She begins to think. He's gone at this point. She can't find him. She's running through the city. He's gone. And she gets to this place where she begins to think about who he is. And on down in the scripture a little later, he begins to do the same thing. He begins to recant the same thing that he told her on their honeymoon night. Oh, darling, my darling, how beautiful you are. Your eyes behind your veil are like doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are a flock of shorn sheep. Now get this, because this is an interesting thing. Now follow this. They have a honeymoon. They communicate. They have a fight. He knocks at the door. She tells him to buzz off. He punches the door. He leaves. She comes to the door, ready for makeup sex. He's nowhere there. And then all of a sudden, they begin to think about this. And she begins to think, wow, this is my man. He's, he's strong. He's this. She begins to identify his differences. And then he begins to think about her. And they're separate places. Their backs are turned to each other. And he begins to think about her and her differences, how her, behind her veil, her eyes are like doves. Her neck is like the Tower of David. They begin to identify their differences. And I believe this is a big, big sticking point for most of us. I talked about this at the beginning of the message today, that God brings people who are opposite together. She was dark but lovely. He was freckled and white. <laughs> Different. Different as black and white. He was strong and, and his eyes were set like jewels. Her eyes looked like a dove. You know, there were differences in them. And, and what I find in life sometimes is we allow the differences between a husband and a wife to compete. They were never meant to compete. We, we allow the type A personality to compete against the type B personality. We like the, the type B personality compete against the type A, although usually the type B is too lazy to compete just saying you know if you put two type b people together and marry them they'll probably die in their house because they are they can't feed themselves just saying you put two type a people in a marriage together and they're going to rip their faces off and kill each other it's the way life is these differences are critical they're critical here's your next fill in number six i will complete not compete. 
I will complete my spouse, not compete with my spouse. I will let my differences be a strengthening factor because the reality is none of us are all of that in a bag of chips. Every single one of us have deficit in our lives. Every single one of us have things that we need to grow on and change, and, and we need somebody to complete us. That's why Scripture tells us that the two flesh come together in one flesh. One complete person can only be made from two people that come together in holy matrimony under God. You got to kind of flip the switch in your heart a little bit because you can look at the differences of your spouse and let them drive you crazy. We did Myers-Briggs test recently with our staff and, and we found out that Melissa is um, an ENTJ. She has this J for judging. She's very strict, very on time, all those kind of things. I am an INTP. I'm a perceiver, entrepreneurial perceiver, kind of visionary. I don't care if, if you meet your deadline or not. Let's just have fun. Let's think big. Let's dream. How many of you guys know I need somebody to keep me on time? I need that. Now, when we first got married, it drove me nuts. I'm like, chill out, woman. What's going on? It isn't that big of a deal. I, I needed that part of her, that, that J out of her personality that, that kept things on time. And she needed that perceiving part of me that says, babe, let's just have fun. See, we have to learn how to let our differences not compete, but let them complete each other that's the way god designed relationships and designed marriages that we would complement each other and here's the last one number seven i will employ self-inspection not insurrection i will employ say that with me i will employ, employ self-inspection self not insurrection man we hold our spouses hostage we, we hold an insurrection against them because we get to this place where we don't want to admit where we're wrong. We don't want to admit where we're, we're failing. We don't want to admit where we've made mistakes. And we hold on to those things and hold our relationships and our spouses hostage. She says this, verse 2, she says, My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the bed of spices, to browse in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved." is mine. He browses among the lilies. What is the garden? Well, the garden is his place of introspection. The garden is his place of self-inventory. He goes to this place to, to look inside and say, what is my part in this? Man, I probably shouldn't have punched the door. Probably should have been on time. Shouldn't have been shooting hoops with the boys till midnight. Probably should have been doing this a little differently. And then she says this, verse 11, I went down to the grove of the nut trees to look at the new growth. Notice there's a season change starting to happen. As she goes to self-inspection, a season change happens. To look at the new growth in the valley to see if the vines have budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I realized that my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. How often do we hold each other hostage by what they did wrong instead of looking at what we did wrong? Self-inspection is the catalyst to contentment. You cannot change anybody. You don't have to be married for more than five minutes to realize that you're never going to change your spouse. The only person that you can change is you. The only person that you really have the ability to inspect internally is you. And if you will inspect you internally, if you will go to your garden and say, listen, 
all right, just me and God. Lord, help me understand where I messed up. If you'll do that instead of holding your spouse hostage, God will begin to show you how to make it, how to navigate, how to get through conflict. Melissa started something in our marriage that I hold very dear to to me, and she does as well too. When we have conflict, she's always the first one to apologize. She has made it her mantra in life that love goes first. Love always goes first, whether she's wrong or whether I'm wrong. She always apologizes for she beats me to it because I'm not a very good apologizer. And she says this in our marriage. She says, will you forgive me for my part? Will you forgive me for my part? What is that? Self-inspection. It's looking at what she did, whether she really had a big part to play because she's pretty good. Whether she had a big part to play or not, she always said, will you you forgive me for for my part? And then I look back at her and I'm like, I don't want to say this. Reluctantly, I say, will you forgive me for my part? (laughs) I'm probably not the easiest person to live with. But it's that part of self-inspection that has caused us to have such a, a wonderful marriage. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but man, we have a great marriage. One of the best marriages I've ever seen, and I'm not just saying that because we're married or I'm pastoring. Really, we have one of the best marriages. It takes work and it takes my part and her part. And if you'll put these things into practice in your relationships, you'll find your marriage and your relationship go and blossom to a new place. Close your eyes with me this morning. Father, I thank you for our relationships. God, you are about relationships. You're about the relationship of a father to his kids. You're about the relationship of us as husbands and wives and parents to our children. God, it's it's about our relationship with you. It's about our relationship with people on this planet. It's about relationships with our friends and, and our families. And God, I know that the devil is, is constantly at work trying to destroy relationships trying to give marriages a run for their money, put strife in them, in them, create dysfunctional families, places of hurt and pain and turmoil. But God, I know that you restore all things. I know that Jesus, you went to the cross to fix all things. So Lord, I pray that you're going to do that in the marriages and the relationships and the families, the future marriages of people Just a simple prayer, God, will you help me? Help me in my relationships.
tugging on your heart today. You know you have some strained relationships and you want some help. I want you to slip your hand up just so I can pray for you. In your marriage, maybe you're dating somebody, but in your relationships, there, there's some help that needs to come there. Man, just reach out to God today. Don't go another day with turmoil. Tell me why God works miracles. He works miracles. Some of you have spouses who have run off and you think there's no way they're coming back. God works miracles. Own what you need to own. Look inside of yourself. Fix those kind of things. Maybe you need to make some apologies.
we would meditate on it. We would think about it. It would produce change. Father, I pray for those hands that were raised this morning. God, that you would work in those relationships. Father, that you would do miracles. Father, where there seems to be no way that, God, you would make a way. And I bless you, Father, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name.